Hey everybody, it's Josh again, and this has just been such a fun time to be able to, to, to bring these parables to you and to be able to teach during this, this time. Uh, you know, um, I, I gotta tell you though, uh, these parables, okay, which we're calling essential stories, uh, they are essential. I mean, th this book is essential. And, uh, and th the parables though, um, they have been a blast to study. They have been so much fun, but I gotta tell you, they have been a lot of work. I, this is a lot more work studying for these than it is for like a, you know, a more normal passage. You know, sometimes I just think, oh, man, I would love to just break down a passage from one of the letters of Paul or something like that, uh, because there's just so much nuance in these letters. And, and all along as I've been preaching this series, this is gonna be the last one of this series that I'm gonna preach. Next week, Ryan will be back uh, with our last parable in this series. Um, but this one, this parable, I've kind of been, I've kind of been fearing <laughs> this one. I, I, I knew it was out there. I knew it was coming. And yet uh, here we are. And here we are. Th this is a tricky one. This is a one that is, is complicated. And so I'd love you to join me. This is going to be one you're going to want to have your book with you, okay? So if you can, open up to Matthew chapter 25 with me. Uh, we're going to dive in right into chapter, or verse 1 of chapter 25. Now, um, as you're turning there, i got to tell you, um, studying parables, one of the things that makes it tricky is that you, you don't always know which details are the important details and which ones aren't. You've got to be careful that you are actually um, highlighting the things that matter and you kind of have to, you know, not ignore, but disregard the things that don't matter. All right. And so um, this one, there's lots of details. There's a lot of things. And some of those things can get you sidetracked and some uh, are going to lead you in the right way. And so um, here's where we're going to start. And we're going to start right in verse one. And it says this, then the kingdom of heaven will be like, at, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins. Okay, I'm gonna stop right there. Uh, 10 virgins, it says. Now, um, uh, right here, this is the first piece of information that is maybe less than helpful, okay? Uh, the word that is used there uh, that it translates virgins is also the word that translates a female, a female person beyond puberty, but not yet married, okay? So uh, this, this is, uh, this is most likely a, uh, a young teenager, maybe, you know, young to mid teenager. All right. And so th these are girls that are there. I'm going to call them young women from now on, because I don't think that other term is all that useful. And if kids, if you, you know, need to know what that means, go ask your parents. Okay. You're welcome for that. Uh, here's the thing. These are young women. And let's go again. The, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 young women who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Okay, so, so once again, now we're at a, a, a wedding setting, okay? We're, we're at a, a celebration and a party. And this time, there's 10 young women who are going out to meet a bridegroom. Uh, the bridegroom, okay? Going out to meet the groom now. So these are almost like bridesmaids except for the groom, okay? You could call them groomsmaids maybe, um, but I'll just stick with young women, okay? But five of them, it says in verse two, were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. 
All right, so now this seems like a pretty crucial piece of information, and it is, okay? These lamps are a main part of this story. And, uh, and interestingly, the, the word that is translated lamp, the Greek word is actually lampa. But confusingly, the word lampa probably means more, something more like a torch, all right? So, so it wasn't a lamp, like uh, an oil lamp, um, and we know that because just in a minute here, you, you wouldn't need to bring extra oil for one of those lamps. Uh, one of those lamps would have had a big jar and it would have been full of oil, and those kind of lamps would burn all night long, many nights long. However, what these, these young women had is most likely a, a torch, okay? It was some sort of stick with cloth wrapped around it. And those would have needed to be bathed in oil, right? They needed to pour oil on those, those, uh, those rags so that they would light. They wouldn't, they wouldn't burn all that long, and that's why you would need an extra, an extra jar of oil. And that is some crucial information to know in this passage. Uh, now, the fact that they are torches is important. The fact that, uh, that they're at a wedding is important. We know that. Um, but apparently, Jesus didn't think that it was all that important to tell us why they had torches. Okay? Uh, we, we have no information from the, these days about what they, they would have used those torches for. Right? We don't really have a lot of information about what you know, first century Jewish weddings would have looked like. And so um, we kind of have to guess at what that is. So some scholars think that the, 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 the women would have used those torches to kind of dance around the groom. Uh, some just think it was there to, to you know, bring him in in procession. But either way, I think we can use our, our powers of deduction here to understand that these, these torches had a function in this wedding ceremony. And the, first of all, we, we, we just got to point out that the, that the torches had a purpose and a function to play at this party, all right? So secondly, uh, that they would have been useful and they would, they would not have been useful if they were not lit, okay? If they were not on fire, that they would have not been useful. And then the third thing is that they would have played some role in highlighting, in, in um, displaying, in illuminating the groom, that was their purpose, okay? And so that's what we need to know for now. The passage goes on. The bridegroom, in verse five, the bridegroom was a long time in coming. Okay, he was delayed. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. See, it doesn't tell us why he got delayed, so that's not gonna be an important, uh, important detail in this, but they all fell asleep. At midnight, it says, and literally that's the, the middle of the night, at midnight, the, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him, it says. Then all the young women uh, woke up and, and trimmed or, or prepared their lamps. Okay, they prepared their torches. They got them ready for their purpose. And this was the time when they were supposed to to light their torches and, and do whatever they were going to do with their torches. But it says in verse eight, the foolish ones, foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. The wise five apparently looked back at them and said, no. They replied, uh, there may not be enough, enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. 
Now, i uh, just got to point out, that doesn't seem like the most Christian thing to say, does it? Uh, it doesn't sound like the nicest thing. I mean, these, these you know, poor, uh, foolish girls uh, ran out of oil, and the wise one said, no, you can't. And, uh, and let's face it, uh, <laughs> these teenage girls, they had one purpose. So maybe the wise ones were like uh, rolling their eyes at him. Come on, you had one job to do. One job and you forgot the oil. So apparently they got what they deserve. In verse 10 it says, but while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. Okay, so if you remember, the bridegroom was announced, okay? He was kind of a, like far off maybe. And then they realized, ah, uh, we need more oil because our torches are burning out. All right, they, they were lit, but then they were burning out. And then as they were gone, the bridegroom comes. The young woman, it says, who were ready, went in with him to the wedding banquet. They got ushered into the celebration and the door was shut, it says. Verse 11, later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. As if to say, we're here, we made it. It doesn't say whether they actually got oil or not, but they were there. Verse 12, but he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Then Jesus says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. And that's the end. No explanation. It just ends there. Now, whenever I study a, a passage of scripture like this, that's just a little bit confusing. I, I find myself, I find myself kind of wondering, even asking God, like, God, uh, why couldn't you just give us another page or two about this? I mean, look, you, you gave us a, a big book, and so, well, just a few more, even a few more sentences about this could have been really helpful. Um, I, I'd love to know a little bit more about what's going on here. I mean, I have a bunch of questions about this passage. In fact, I, I might even have more questions than I have answers. Um, I mean, you know, for instance, um, why couldn't these girls just share a little bit of oil? Right? I mean, what's wrong? Why couldn't they share? Isn't that the, the Christian thing to do? And, and, and if they were so wise, why did they wait till the last minute to tell the girls to go get more oil, right? I mean, come on. And, and then why in the world did the groom not let them in just because they were a few minutes late? I mean, there's a lot going on here. And, and, and why? I want to know. I think that uh, at some point, me and Jesus are going to have a little conversation about this passage because I want some of these answers, uh, questions answered. So, um, but instead of talking about the things we don't know, let's focus in on what we do here, all right? And so we know some very important things here, okay? First of all, uh, we know that Jesus here is talking to his disciples, all right? And this is huge. Uh, the last three parables that we talked to, uh, talked about, um, he's, he was talking specifically to the religious leaders, but now he's talking to people who are following him, who have, who have declared that they want to, you know, give their life to following him. And so this is, this is different. Uh, and then we also know, the second thing is that, that there's a context 
to what they're talking about. All right, this comes right in the middle. This parable comes right in the middle of a discussion that Jesus is having with his disciples about the end of the world. Uh, they ask, they ask him, um, tell us about when you're going to come again and when everything, this is all going to end. What's going to be, what's it going to be like in those days? And so this is Jesus's answer to that. And so what we can, what we can surmise about this parable is that this is a parable that is written to, written to believers. Okay. This is actually Jesus speaking to us as Christians, to all people who claim to follow Jesus as your savior. Then this is a parable that is to you, but it's also a parable of warning. Okay. This is, this is a parable of, of checking yourself, um, making sure that, that your faith is what you claim it to be. And so for that reason, uh, I, I, I want to bring out five warning signs, okay? Five warnings for all Christians that are right here in this passage, okay? They're warnings for you and me and specifically in regarding our faith because this is actually something that we need to do from time to time. We actually need to kind of check ourselves and and inspect uh, and even test our faith. Um, Paul encourages the Corinthians to do that. In uh, 2 Corinthians uh, verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 5, uh, Paul says this. He says, examine yourself, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? See, what Paul's suggesting here is that this is a good thing for us. And so today I want you to examine and to test yourself, even to test your faith. Um, This is important because the Bible, according to the Bible, um, there will be a time when the door is closed. And that's actually our our first warning sign, our, our first warning that we have in this passage. And that is that there will be a time when it's just too late to change. Too late to change. See, as much as I don't like that, as much as I don't like to talk about judgment, I mean, no one does. The Bible, the Bible tells us that there is a time when it's just too late. I don't like the finality of it all, but, but Jesus seems to be saying, and very clearly here, uh, that there will be a point in time in which it'll just be too late, too late to even enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so, from all that, all that we can tell and all this, uh, we know that we have to make the most of the time that we're given. And we have to make the most of that now. Um, this is definitely a warning sign about a closed door. Okay? And we know that, that God could decide to close that door at any, any point. But I, I want you to know, uh, the good news is that that door is open now for you and for everybody. And so actually the warning that I want to give to you and I as Christians is a different kind of warning that there's a different kind of closed door. The, the door that is often closed in people's lives is a door on the inside that we close our doors to, to God's kingdom. We tend to do that. We tend to do that by letting sin in our life. That, that sin gets in our life. And because, you know, let's just face it. It's, it's, usually, uh, it's usually not theological objections to God. Often it's ethical objections. Often people say things like, I I just, you know, I I, want to do what I want to do. 
I don't want to listen to those rules and those commands. I don't think that applies to me. And so they let sin come into the door. And as soon as it's ignored, okay, as soon as we allow sin in and we're okay with it, sin loves inviting all its friends, right? And so eventually uh, more and more, you, you get more comfortable with more and more sin. And what happens is your heart gets hardened. Your door starts shutting to things of the kingdom. And here's what I'm saying to you, is that there becomes a time when that door may be so shut that it's almost impossible for you to change, for you to open up, for you to repent. And so I want to tell you as clearly as possible, now is the time to repent. Don't let sin fester in your life. If you notice it, deal with it right away. Confess your sin. That's how we keep an open door to God's kingdom. And we need that open door. And so uh, this is a, a warning. This is a wake up call for us to make sure that you're ready before the door to the party gets shut. Because I wouldn't want you to miss out on the party. Now that the invitation to that party is open to all who want to go and, and, and all that we can do to, to enter into that party is, is, is to enter by faith. That, that's all that we bring to the table, right? God supplies everything else. Um, we enter by faith. And, and the torches that these girls were holding, uh, the torches represent that faith. And so uh, if, you, if you remember, there were some torches that, uh, that, that burned well. And then there are some torches that burned out. And see, uh, Jesus was telling the story to, to tell us about our faith. And, and if you remember, um, the girls, the, some of the young women didn't share their, their oil. And Jesus is not teaching about sharing here, all right? Um, Jesus is actually teaching us a different principle. And in fact, uh, it's a principle that we need to know. The principle is, is this, that there's just some things you can't share. And faith, and no, this is the principle number two, faith is one of the things that you just can't borrow. You can't borrow someone else's faith. For instance, uh, there's a lot of things you, you shouldn't borrow. Uh, one of those are, are these masks that we carry around in our pockets all the time now, right? You shouldn't borrow someone's mask, all right? It kind of defeats the purpose for what a mask is. Uh, a mask is mine. Uh, you shouldn't borrow someone's chapstick. Uh, don't borrow people's deodorant. Um, we, don't, we don't borrow uh, underwear, and we definitely don't borrow toothbrushes, right? That's just not a thing that you borrow. Um, now, now, some of those you, you could, you actually, I mean, it would be possible to, it would just be weird, but then you can't borrow somebody's credibility, okay? There's not even a way to borrow somebody's integrity or someone's character. And that's where faith comes in, that, that faith cannot be borrowed. Uh, faith must be yours. You cannot get into the kingdom based on someone else's faith. You cannot get into the kingdom based on your parents' faith. Okay? You cannot get into the kingdom based on um, how, how well you know the, the pastor, right? Uh, that, that's not going to get you in. The only thing that's going to get you into the kingdom is your faith. Faith is intrinsically, is intrinsically individual. That, that's what it is. And so 
you need to check your faith. And the next thing we see, is, according to this parable, is that uh, it also has to be a certain kind of faith. A kind of faith that will actually make it through the night. Uh, that'll make it through the dark times. You see, the third warning that, uh, that I have for Christians today is that is that your faith can fail if it's not properly fueled. Your faith can actually fail. If you remember, all 10 of the young women, they had torches, right? And all, all 10 of them lit their torches. They all burned, uh, but five of them started going out because they weren't properly fueled. I think Jesus is suggesting to his followers, to his disciples, uh, to us as believers, to anyone who claims the name of Jesus, he's saying that there's two types of faith. One is a faith that is properly fueled. And that's one that's going to last you through the night. And there's another kind of faith, uh, one without fuel. And that one is going to fail. What kind of faith do you have? I think it's a good question. It's a question that we need to ask. Uh, the, the five young women who had properly fueled faith, um, they had put effort into their faith. They, they had prepared. They planned ahead. Uh, they, they took time to, to decide that they needed to prepare. The five young women who ran out of fuel, they, they didn't give their faith much thought. Uh, they were ones who just showed up. They waited until the last minute. And then when the last minute came, when the crisis hit, uh, when the darkness came on, they were not prepared. Their faith was found lacking and their faith failed. Within a few days of Jesus telling this parable, he had a, a very intimate conversation with Simon Peter, uh, one of his closest disciples. Uh, Jesus would break the news to, to Peter that he was going to deny him three times. But just prior to that conversation, Jesus says something profound to Peter. He says this, it's, it's recorded in Luke 22, verse 32. He says, Jesus says, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. You see, Jesus, Jesus knew that, that there was a, a, a faith that can fail, that even, even Peter could have a faith that, that could fail. And Jesus was praying that his faith, the faith of his most, one of his most devout followers, that that faith wouldn't fail. The passage goes on to say that Simon Peter replied in verse 33, uh, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and death. You see, Peter probably thought to himself, my faith can't fail. I've got superior faith. Well, we know how that story ends. Uh, we know that, that sure enough, Peter went off and, and denied Jesus three times. Uh, see, at the moment of testing, even Peter's faith failed. At the moment was Peter, when Peter was supposed to reveal Jesus, was supposed to, to shine his light on Jesus, Sure enough, Peter, Peter's faith didn't hold up to the test. Instead, he tried to cover up his faith. The question I have is, why do you think that is? Why would, would Peter's faith fail? And I think if we go back to our principle that, that uh, our, our faith, uh, faith can fail if it's not properly fueled, then we'll find that, that 
Peter's faith just wasn't fueled the right way. It was fueled on something else. Um, I'm sure he had faith, absolutely. He declared boldly his faith, but I think that Peter's faith was actually fueled on his own strength. Okay, if, if you notice what he said, uh, he's, 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 he's pretty clear, like, I, I can do this. I'm going to be okay, Jesus. Um, I, I got this. I'll go to prison for you. I'll go to death for you. I can do this. I mean, think about it. I, I'm like your, your right-hand guy. I'm the one who you gave the king, keys to the kingdom, right? This is Peter, and I think he was a little full of himself here, instead of full of something else. You see, uh, the, the key here is that Peter's faith was fueled by his own, his own work, his own power. It was fueled by him. And I think we can do that as well. We think to ourselves, I'm a, I'm a good Christian. I, I, I'm a good Bible reader. I, you know, I go to church all the time. We say to ourselves, I've got this under control. But when we do that, we find that we're fueling our faith instead of allowing it to be fueled by something that can actually uh, hold up, okay? Something that can actually let our lights shine. That's what we need. But if you find yourself relating to Peter here, if you find yourself thinking that, yeah, maybe that's me, maybe my faith is more in my own faith than actually in Jesus, then I've got good news for you. And and that is that, that Peter's story doesn't end here. Peter's story gets a lot better, and ours can too. Uh, And that leads me to the fourth point here, and the fourth warning that we have, and that is that only spirit-fueled faith will last. Spirit-fueled faith. You see, uh, the oil that these young women used, see, that's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Oil is used all throughout as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and and it's symbolic of of the Holy Spirit's influence in our lives. Uh, And sure enough, if if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that, that Peter, after he received the Holy Spirit in his life, that's when his faith became unstoppable. That's when his faith had the the perseverance to fight through even the worst of things. That's when he actually did go to jail and he actually did even ultimately die for Jesus. But the reason he was able to do that is only because his faith was fueled by something much, much, much better, much more powerful than he. His faith was fueled by the spirit of the living God. You see, his faith... It stopped being fueled by what he could do, by his own efforts, and it began to be filled based on what Jesus had done for him on the cross. And and, and it became filled by the the Holy Spirit that came over him. And and that's, that's my encouragement to you, to us, that we need, our faith needs to be fueled by the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you today, uh, what fuels your faith? Is it the spirit of the living God or is it your own strength? If you're out there and you're saying to yourself, Josh, yeah, I, I want that. I want to have, I want my faith to be fueled by the spirit. I, I don't want to, to live anymore under my own strength. You might even be thinking like, how do I know? 
How do I know if, I'm, if my faith is, is spirit-empowered or if uh, my faith is fueled by myself? I, if that's you, then I, I think this last point is going to help. Uh, because this last point, this last warning that we have here is actually going to give us some, some guidance there about what it looks like to actually have a spirit-fueled faith. For this, I want to ask you, why? Why are you a person of faith? Why do you care about your faith? Why, why do you develop your faith? Uh, what, what motivates you in developing your faith? I mean, are you motivated to develop your faith? Or is faith something that's just useful for you in the moment of crisis? Or maybe even worse, that maybe faith is just something that's useful for you when you're dead. You see, I, I have to admit that that's kind of the way that I looked at faith for you know, the early years of my faith journey. That I actually, I, I wanted faith because I, I didn't want hell. I was scared of that. And I, I, I really wanted heaven. Heaven sounded great. And so I was like, yes, I want that. And, and, and so I was motivated by myself, really. Do you notice that? That, that my motivation came from me? It was me avoiding punishment. It was me avoiding judgment and me wanting something good. And, and all I got to tell you is that kind of motivation doesn't get you very far. That kind of motivation when it's about me, when it's fueled by myself, just doesn't make it through the night. And if the goal and if the purpose of faith is all about me just getting to heaven or avoiding hell, then something's got to change. And so here's the final warning for you. Final warning is this, that a properly fueled faith has a purpose and a function that is greater than staying out of hell. It's greater than staying out of hell. I mean, that, there's an actual purpose to your faith. Do you realize that? That there's a function, that, that it's actually supposed to do something. So the question is, what is the purpose of your faith? What does your faith do? If it just gets you into heaven, then I want you to examine it. If, if it's just there in the, the crisis moments, I want you to, to test it. Because I think Jesus is asking you to do that very thing, to examine, to take this time to look at it. Because the, the torches alone don't get them into the party. But if you remember earlier, when I said that the, that the torches... They were useful, right? There, there, there was a reason we could deduce something about their use of the torches. We didn't know exactly how they used them, but we do know a few things about them. We do know that the torches had a purpose and a function to play the party, okay? And, and I want to tell you, uh, Christian out there, uh, anyone who claims the name of Jesus, I want to tell you that there is a purpose for your faith, that there is a function to play in the kingdom of God. And, and secondly, we said that, that those, those torches, that, that it would not have been useful if they weren't lit. And, and can I tell you, um, your faith, it is not useful unless it has the spirit fuel to make, to make your light shine. Because that's what it is for, that you are meant to shine. But you're not only just meant to shine, you're actually meant to shine with a purpose. Because if you remember, uh, I said the third thing about the torches was that these torches played some role in illuminating and in highlighting the groom. And Christian out there, I want to tell you that, that your faith has a purpose in illuminating and highlighting 
Jesus. That's why we have faith. That our faith is supposed to bring attention to our Savior. It's supposed to point people to Him. That when they see us, when they see our good works, when they see our faith, they're supposed to honor, they're supposed to glorify our Father who is in heaven. You see, that is the very point here. And that is that that our, our, our torches are there, our lights are there to dance around Jesus. Our, our torches are there to highlight Him, to, to, to bring Him in to focus so that people see Him. That's what this is all about. That's what our life is all about. And you see, faith, your faith has a purpose. It has a function. The purpose, this is the last thing, the purpose, I want you to just write this down. This is kind of the main idea, that the purpose of spirit-fueled faith is to shine a light on Jesus. Let's be people. Let's be people who live our lives, shining our light on Jesus. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And so let's develop our faith. Let's prepare ourselves for the time of crisis, for the, for the moment when we can, when we have an opportunity to point people to Jesus, to highlight Jesus, to illuminate Jesus. Let's be a church that does that. Are you with me? Because I think together we can be a church that can make it through even the darkest of times.